0: welcome to the currently unnamed podcast uh I'm Jerry Thompson joined by Dave shields we'll we'll figure this out eventually I think I have a name Dave do you, do you think the name is okay is it passable I,
1: I don't know what what's the name I I told you we're not gonna say it oh we're not gonna say it uh yeah I I would say I'm in line with the potential new name
0: okay better or worse than the previous name
1: I would say it's an upgrade given the state of arena these days but the bar is low.
0: It is low. Okay. Well, I'll I'll take that anyway. So um we are going to talk modern again. Uh I don't know if this is like super relevant for folks, but I don't think that pioneer is relevant either. Is that accurate?
1: I mean, pioneer is currently the RCQ format, which I think is interesting, but the current state of modern is incredibly exciting, so I think we'd be remiss to talk about anything else.
0: Yeah, I just I could have sworn, it feels like the Pioneer PTQ season should have ended already. It seems like it's been going on
1: for forever. Yeah, this schedule's really weird, where they're spread out in a very unbalanced way or uneven way, and this season is incredibly long and spread out, so it, it feels like it's going to be going on forever, but um, that's summer magic for you.
0: Yeah, well, maybe we'll get back to Pioneer at some point, but in the meantime, uh, yeah, Modern super interesting. The... Lord of the Rings set, which was not supposed to be a Modern Horizon set, is kind of a Modern Horizon set. We have a Modern Pro Tour at the end of the month, and things are (laughs) getting kind of wild, honestly.
1: They are out of control. Um, I have played quite a bit of Modern over the last six months, and I now don't feel like I understand anything. Uh, And the set has certainly shaken up the format more than I could have possibly imagined.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of nice having the format where you only have to adjust to like small subtle things, right? And occasionally that means you switch decks because things have just gotten like so bad for your current thing or maybe you found something better or whatever, but now this is just everything is in upheaval uh to the point where it does feel like MH2. Like MH2 completely changed everything, right? And I feel like that's kind of where we are now with the one ring specifically, but also just like a bunch of smaller stuff too.
1: Yeah, the One Ring has clearly had a huge impact, but I actually think the most of the story is on all of the other cards that have influenced the format in a bunch of ways that I don't know that anybody saw coming. Certainly, I didn't.
0: Uh, Have I said that Orcish Bowmasters is overrated slash unplayable on this podcast yet? I don't think I have.
1: I don't know if you've said it on the podcast. You've certainly said it to me five or six times, <laughs> yeah. and I laugh at you each time you say it because <laughs> it just keeps getting played more and more, and everybody that I've seen play it keeps saying the opposite. So I think you might be wrong on that one.
0: I don't know. It got cast against me again recently, and it just it, it didn't do anything. Um, so maybe maybe that's a product of the stuff that i'm doing or whatever but i don't know even playing in the legacy thing people were like oh you're playing eight casts you have so many things that like draw cards and it's like yeah i i do those on like turn 1 or turn 2 and then that's that's kind of it like if i draw one later and you have a bowmasters yeah maybe i i don't cast it but like also the games don't really go on that long and i don't know the the damage is not super relevant on what I'm trying to do, so I I don't really get it.
1: Yeah, I think that's maybe one of the misconceptions of the card is it's actually really good against one toughness creatures and not people that are drawing a lot of extra cards. And yeah. that might not be super obvious on the surface. And um, and
0: I'm I'm fine with that, but I'm not the one toughness person. Uh, you know, like playing Delvers or like playing Thalia's or whatever. So it doesn't really bite me in that sort of way. And uh, the mana dork that I'm playing now is a one two. So. Even then, it's it's kind of tough.
1: It's interesting. That's for sure.
0: So anyway, uh, in regards to the One Ring and in regards to this Pro Tour, you've been throwing some hypotheticals at me. I, I don't know if you were around for any of the hypotheticals that Brian threw at me, but he was continually frustrated and... I think at some point it became amusement, and then he started taking amusement out of tormenting me with the hypotheticals just because I I feel the need to clarify everything.
1: Well, I, so I'm not familiar with Brian's hypotheticals, but I will tell you, I love hypotheticals. So you should get used to this. It was,
0: it was like, you know, how, how is this set from one to 10? and it's just it's such a blanket question where if i say a number i will feel silly because i feel like i have to justify it in a bunch of different ways and like certainly when you're asking me on a scale of 1 to 10 it's just like well 10 in my mind doesn't really exist so that's already just out of the conversation you know well and that's what
1: makes it interesting
0: it it basically he would ask me like basically a yes or no question right and I felt like I needed to talk for 30 minutes in order to to explain my answers. So anyway, uh, two of your recent questions were, what percentage of modern decks at the Pro Tour next month uh, will have the one ring in them?
1: I could go so many different places with this question, and I posed it to you because I was just genuinely interested in what you thought, and now you're putting me on the spot. Well, Um, I I can go first, I guess. Sure, go first. I,
0: I I think it'll be 40-ish percent.
1: I think I would take the over on 40%, but I think that's a pretty good line. And the interesting thing is like talking through like the right ways to attack the one ring decks. And I don't even know what a one ring deck is quite yet. There's so many different ways and angles people are taking the card, but some of the most common ways to attack it are with other one ring decks. So I could see a world where we snowball into numbers that are above 50%, but I'm hesitant to say that yet.
0: I think that, well, first of all, I I thought I was guessing the exact number, not setting the line. Sure. If I was setting the line, obviously the number would be different, but we'll just go with my, my 40% ballpark range thing. But I think that the Wondering, the decks are very different, but they all do kind of promote a similar play style. And I don't think that everyone is necessarily going to shift into that sort of play style. And obviously there are things like the recent Rakdos deck and Standard or like the Oko PT and stuff like that, where it's like the number gets up to 70%. Like if the play style is that dominant or if people believe it is that dominant, then obviously they will have no other choice but to abide or whatever but i don't know i think modern is wide open enough that you can just be like i'm gonna play like grixis death shadow or scam or something along those lines you know living end whatever where you don't have to buy into a ring deck if you don't want to
1: there's certainly enough different choices to keep everybody busy and that's certainly true. But I also think the card is very unique in that it can fit into so many different play styles and so many different decks that can go in a lot of different directions and it doesn't force you to a common play pattern. So I, I, I think the numbers could be quite a bit larger than what we've seen historically with cards like Oko.
0: I I think my number is conservative for sure. I don't think we're going to get to Oko numbers. I would be shocked if that happens, but the, the card is powerful, and it shows no signs of slowing down, and it, it is one of those things that does just slot into a lot of places, so it's like, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, 70%, it, it could potentially get up there.
1: Yeah, and listen, I was a pretty big hater initially, like, I was playing my four spell pierce deck and pretty excited licking my chops at people playing this four mana sorcery, <laughs> and, and then... <laughs> As we'll get into. Um, they also printed a card that just happens to make it not be able to be countered, which is, you know, frustrating in and of uh, itself. And we'll get into that later.
0: Yeah. It is, it is very silly. All right. So the, the second one is what are the odds that the one ring is legal 12 months from now? And we we don't really abide by ban talk on this year podcast. Except for occasionally. Occasionally it's fine. And for, for this question specifically, it's not like, should it be banned immediately? Because I think we're in agreement that the answer to that is no. Like there's just so much left to explore and figure out and see if uh, the format kind of figures itself out. You know, like if, if the one ring ends up being a thing that is simply another thing you can do versus like the thing that you have to be doing in the format, I think that that's actively good for modern. You know, we could use more of those, not, not fewer, right? But, uh, odds 12 months from now it's still legal. That's a more interesting conversation.
1: I would agree. And I think it being 12 months from now is important. I think it being three or six months from now is not an interesting conversation because the the format is right now more interesting than I can remember in recent memory. And a lot of that has to do with the one ring, and I think a lot of this needs to be explored. So I think the 12 to 18 months from now range is a pretty interesting question and timeline. And to be honest, I'm kind of waffling on this one. I think if you asked me two hours ago, I would have said it's going to be banned. And right now, I'm I'm, I'm more leaning towards no, it probably won't be. Um, but I I could go either way.
0: Yeah. Now you're thinking about like, oh, this this actually has been kind of fun. Like exploring this gives us something to do. A lot of like you know decks to brew. A lot of different ways to evaluate. The, the sort of plans you're taking from, you know, I know you're on the creativity side or have been or whatever. So that stuff is fun. I like that stuff. I like having new toys. And if it gets to the point where this deck is doing the best stuff and it is in everything, uh, then yeah, it's probably not a great place for the format to be. But I think that that is one of the less likely outcomes from all of this.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And I, listen, I wish it didn't invalidate one of my preferred strategies as much as it does. Um, and we can get into that a little bit later. And it certainly had a, a more negative impact on my personal um, success rate in the format than I would have preferred. Uh, but I think overall, the impact that the set and the one ring itself has had on the format has been hugely positive And people are exploring things that um, I don't know if they would have otherwise, and I think it really shows the depth and how dynamic modern is. And I think it sh- it shows why it's my favorite format.
0: When I worked on MH one, the thing that I wanted to do was power up like the tier three decks, and we didn't really get to do that, unfortunately. I think MH two did a much better job of doing that with like some reanimator cards and some enchantress cards and stuff like that. Uh, unfortunately, those were also uh, outmoded by a lot of the the other cards that they printed. But uh, they exist now, and that's a good thing. You know, If you see the occasional Enchantress deck, 5-0 League or whatever, it's not that out of the ordinary anymore, which I think is cool. And the One Ring has slotted into a bunch of those decks, which I also think is very cool. I got absolutely clowned by the Trash for Treasure deck uh, in, in one of the leagues that I played, and it's just like, yeah, this this rocks.
1: I would agree. I would agree. Let me ask you, tier three decks in modern, and then we'll give you another hypothetical. How many decks do you think we have to go through before we hit tier three?
0: Uh, I could, yeah, I could qualify the statement a lot, but, uh, 10, 20, what's the number? I I would say like 30. I think that there's, there's like, 10 very, very good decks, and then there's 20 defensible decks, and then there's everything else.
1: And I think that is amazing. And I think that shows you why modern is how awesome that I think it is. And I think that that's a very rare thing to see in other formats.
0: No, I agree. And I I think that that's rad. And I do think that if you move a lot of the tier three stuff up to tier two, or just kind of like muddy the waters a little bit, then that is a net good thing because it, it gives people more options. Like, yeah, in theory, you can do a lot of different stuff in Modern, but right now it's not comparable power level-wise to all the decks with free spells, for example, you know? Yep. So I, I think that things are not great for Tier 3 and could be better, but in time, I think we will get to a place, you know? Like, I, I think that MH2 did kind of show that they do have... Uh, some sort of incentive like they they do know that those those decks are pretty cool and they like it when they show up and they will get more toys not fewer I would imagine as time goes on yeah I would agree cool so uh you also have a modern tournament this weekend which is I don't know kind of like yeah it's been fun but like you actually have a reason for playing modern and focusing on that so what do, what do you got going on?
1: Yeah, so the showcase for Modern is this weekend for me, and I qualified for that a few months ago. Um, My plans originally were to just lock in creativity, given that I've played that for the last six months and, you know, take my 4th of July weekend and, you know, spend it with my family and friends and not stress about things. Um, And this most recent set has certainly thrown a wrench into that in a way that I certainly was not looking forward to. Kind of where I'm at right now is given the number of games and the amount of practice I've had with creativity, it's kind of just which version of the deck do I want to play, and how can I tweak and tune it uh, to you know f- fit my fancy. But um, I wouldn't, I'd not i would be lying if I said I wasn't considering alternatives, just given how wildly flipped on its head the format's been given the recent printings. And I actually think Delighted Halfling has been like the most frustrating card for me to play against, actually, not the One Ring just because my basic interaction and approaches to a lot of matchups have been really flipped on their head.
0: Yeah, the the decks just generally kind of like speeding up factors into it too. It's not even like, oh, you know, this is providing like an uncounterable thing or whatever, it's just the the tempo and, and pace of things has changed dramatically to the point where it, it just kind of flips everything on its head, which yeah. can be kind of frustrating. when Like you've had all these like well laid out plans going in you know and like all these sideboard cards that used to be good now it's just like oh all this is useless
1: yeah i have a box with like you know my 50 you know creativity sideboard cards that i could potentially play in any given situation and i i feel pretty well prepared to adjust and play whichever configuration of those 15 for any given week and this is this set has really changed that because Delighted halfling has really sped the format up, but at the same time, the wondering has made it so that creativity doesn't have the same inevitability that it did in a lot of matchups that it used to. So how
0: how would the games play out before versus how they're playing out now? Like I I know that you can Just say like, oh, you know, the one ring, inevitability, blah, blah, blah. But just like, what what is actually the difference? Like, can you describe that? Can you lay that out?
1: My first reaction is no, I can't possibly, but I'm certainly (laughs) going to take a stab at it.
0: Yeah, just take a stab. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's not even yes or no. Can you do it? It's like, will you please try?
1: So my experience playing with creativity is I would just never cast creativity until I absolutely had to. And I would try to play this grindy mid range Jun style game. And then if my opponents ever tapped out or did something they shouldn't have, they tripped up. I would just creativity and bury them in card advantage. And I felt like in virtually all matchups with a few exceptions, I had the inevitability. So the longer the games lasted, the better it was for me. And the one ring has really changed that because it's both a threat that the opponents can cast that, prevents me from being able to put Archon into play profitably because they have protection from everything, whatever the heck that means. <laughs> and it also puts this weird tension on, it, it almost gives them inevitability. So they have a sorcery speed threat that they can cast and develop that's problematic for me that I have to answer. And I don't know if I'm as favored the longer the games goes against a lot of these matchups just because of how powerful and how much card advantage the card generates.
0: And there, there's just not a lot of profitable ways to like stop it or interact with it, right? Like, spell pierce is good in theory, but if halfling lives, then certainly that's problematic. And if they do resolve it, your creativity on that turn is not great. Maybe you you put like a, a six six or two into play, but presumably those are dealt with easily enough or like ignored easily enough, right? When they have the ring in play.
1: Absolutely. And this is why we led down this path of, I explored a lot of different creativity targets that we could potentially get that were not archon, which is a world I never imagined we would be in even two weeks ago, um, trying to find targets that I could get that still worked when my opponent had protection from everything by either attracting and generating a bunch of cards for myself or trying to interact with permanence on my opponent's board rather than them so we can get into a little bit more of that but sundering titan is one of my old-time favorites that certainly is you know going way up in my book as far as creativity targets just as a way to kind of target and choke off resources from the opponent when they have a bunch of cards. If they don't have a lot of resources or mana to play them, that's not really that big of a deal.
0: Talking about how Bowmaster is generally not good against the decks I play, Sundering Titan has historically been very good against the decks that I play. <laughs> 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 and uh, this is true to this day still. It is, it is weird how, how it's like almost 20 years ago at that point that that card came out. Probably 20 years ago,
1: yeah. <laughs> it certainly is a hater of fun, right? I would say the more colors yeah. that you're playing on average is the more fun that you're having. And yeah. so Titan is certainly, you know, a party pooper in that sense.
0: Like you are, you are gifts rocking. Like it's, it's pretty similar, you know, it's like, I, I'm trying to do some cool stuff with like my, my four and five color, like fetch Shockland mana base. And then, yeah. then all my manas are gone.
1: Listen, I have a lot of fun. It, it actually takes a while to resolve a sundering Titan against a lot of trials.
0: So there, every weekend there's a bunch of challenges on magic online and, One of the more recent ones was just absolutely dominated by Four Color. And the lists were a little bit different, but they all had a bunch of stuff in common, which was uh, Four... Is it Delighted Halfling? I think it's Delighted
1: Halfling. Delighted Halfling, yes.
0: Yeah, I was very confident about that, you know, two minutes ago, and then for whatever reason, I started second-guessing myself. Foolish. Anyway, yeah, Four four of that card... uh, Three or four copies of the One Ring. Uh, Aspiring Spike, as per usual, had maybe the most innovative list with four copies of Reprieve and like three Spell Pierces. Only twenty-two lands, you know. Uh, but they're all just doing kind of the, the same sort of thing. And uh, I don't, I don't know if this was the same top eight, but like X-File had three Elish Norns main. I've seen some in main decks and sideboards, some have iterations, some have Eladomri's Call, you know, but like a lot of them are pretty light on red cards, so don't have a ton of Furies. I think most lists just don't have Fury at all anymore and are just pretty light on creatures overall too. It's like four halflings, three-ish Omnaths, three to four solitudes, uh, and some Nissa's, you know.
1: Yeah, this was some of, I I think Leyline Binding and Solitude are like the mainstays that stay in each of the versions as far as interaction goes, and those are pretty frustrating cards to play against in general. Um, They're good. Yeah, they're really good, and they don't cost a whole lot of mana, and they answer a pretty wide range of things, which is, you know, definitely frustrating to try to attack. Uh, But how effective Spell Pierce was against this deck in general was something that was very appealing and not necessarily super intuitive on the surface for me. And then that only further added to my Delighted Halfling frustrations in general.
0: Yeah, so we we sat down again to do a little playtesting sesh. Uh, I was interested in exploring the different versions of four color and trying out some spice and you wanted to see how the matchup was from the creativity side, given like all the new stuff. And it was, it was definitely very interesting, very illuminating. A lot of stuff that I thought was going to be good ended up being pretty bad. A lot of stuff I thought was going to be bad ended up being pretty good. Um, just going to start from my side of things, I guess uh, the, the halfling is great. Uh, was Kind of suspect of a card that does not scale super well into the late game. Basically, just, you know, drawing this thing on turn six or whatever is not always ideal. I've played some versions of Four Color before that had Utopia Sprawl, for example, and it, it definitely has a lot of the same problems there. But certainly, if you get to cast it on turn one and start ramping into like Teferi, Omnath Ring, or whatever, it, it it's the best possible thing you can be doing, you know? Uh, there are slight hiccups with. Uh, being able to fetch the correct lands for Ley Line Binding and everything. Obviously Triomes with like a Birds of Paradise variant don't play particularly well, and that's certainly come up in some games. And maybe some issues with uh being forced into fetching a Shock on turn one effectively. Like you're not hard committed, but you're like soft committed into doing that, especially if you're... You know that you're not going to be able to fetch a triome. It's like, well, I kind of have to get shocks to at least make this binding cost two or whatever, and then that yeah, can put some additional pressure on your life total or whatever. But like, it, it none of it really matters. It's just like halfling is so good that you happily just, you know, deal with all that crap, right?
1: Yeah, it it certainly put some interesting tension on the approach I took to the matchup, particularly post board where. I really, in a normal world, like pre-Halfling and pre-One Ring, I found the four-color matchup to be incredibly easy from the creativity side, and I could trim lightning bolts pretty aggressively, but I just wasn't able to do that anymore because it was a pretty demanding threat to answer, both because of the acceleration and how much it invalidates my spell pierces. It's just, it's it's embarrassing.
0: Yeah, it's, it is kind of silly. Uh, I... I, I just liked having the card a lot in the games where I had it turn one, and especially if, if you didn't like kill it immediately. But like even if you did, it's like okay, well you're, you know you're down a card. You had to spend a mana. You also were kind of running into the same problem that I was, where it's like if I am fetching to play a halfling on turn one, it means I'm not fetching a triumph, which can kind of screw me later on. And having to like fetch a shockland to bolt it instead of fetching a triumph can potentially like screw you later on too.
1: Yep it's the same tension and we both had the same ley line binding tension throughout the entire match.
0: Yes. Uh the the next thing is the the one ring is great and i i knew that already but in in this matchup specifically it's given that you had all the spell pierces i was like i don't know how good this is going to be like you know how many am i going to want in postboard games for example i i think is a pretty good indicator of how effective the card is in the matchup, you know? And a lot of the lists have three, and this is a matchup that I thought it was going to be like a three of in the matchup. And I quickly went up to four and that, that just means I'm going to play four going forward because it, it just is that good. And you have like the backdoor halfling thing to protect it. Obviously you have to to like pseudo protect it as well. So I'm, I'm really not seeing a whole lot of downside because especially in, in game ones where all these lists are just Archon and not that I think that that's wrong, but like you get your biggest punish for tapping out was, oh, they get to resolve creativity. And now it's just like, well, yeah, you put an Archon or two into play, I can pretty easily answer those and the One Ring is just going to carry me the rest of the game. Like there is just no downside to the card, at least in game ones.
1: I would agree. And I don't actually know that it changed a ton post board. Obviously, like once we figured out the Sundering Titan or attack your mana resources a little bit, that changed the dynamic a little bit. But I don't know that it was enough to say that I would ever want less than four in the matchup from your side. And it certainly added a wrinkle and a level to the game that put pressure on me from the creativity side that I've never felt before.
0: Yeah. And going in, I thought, I, I even said this to you, I was like, I'm I'm pretty sure we should only play a few Game Ones because my configuration is not particularly good against yours. And the the Game Ones felt easier than the sideboard games. Uh, like they were kind of like laughably easy. And I was very shocked by that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I think a little bit of that might have just been how the games played out. And obviously a bigger sample size would kind of add to that. Yeah,
0: agreed, agreed. But But I basically I felt like I didn't have any real meaningful interaction for creativity, like nothing specific, nothing like hard targeted. I had a couple copies of reprieve and that was it. And you know, even that is like a pretty soft answer, right? But I just felt like you were gonna be able to like do your thing. I wasn't gonna be able to interact. But the fact that Halfling made it so my deck wasn't as clunky. Uh, I was no longer like this slow, ponderous mid-range deck necessarily. Like I was actually doing stuff in the early turns that was meaningful and it didn't feel like a matchup where I was constantly playing from behind anymore. So that was a big change. And then like the one ring insulating me and just giving me this engine where it's like if I got to resolve ring on turn three or turn four, it just felt kind of impossible to lose.
1: Yeah, we had multiple games game ones where you were able to outgrind all of the Archons in my deck and I just ran out of Archons and that was a real problem. And the ring and the resources that it provides enabled you to do that.
0: Right. So other stuff that came up that wasn't really immediately apparent was how good the ring is with Omnath, both like Omnath giving you the life buffer to make it so the ring doesn't kill you and I I really don't think that that's super relevant. Uh, Like, even, you know, this matchup is not one where you're necessarily pressuring my life total a bunch, but even after, like, playing some leagues and whatnot, it's just, like, it really doesn't matter. Uh, You should have your deck built in such a way where the ring is not going to kill you, you know? Basically, just have some way to actually advance the game forward and kill your opponent. Don't try and play 10 turns with the ring in play, I guess, which. I don't know, should maybe be kind of obvious, but even something as simple as like, oh, you know, shit, this thing might kill me. I'll just like play a second ring to sack the old one or whatever. It's just like, you have built in ways to to manage this and mitigate it. And uh, the other big thing was like, oh yeah, like Omnath making mana and the ring just being a card that you can play profitably. I mean, sometimes the deck will be able to make mana with Omnath and not have anything proactive to do right? But the ring is just like the perfect card to do with that.
1: Yeah, it's an indestructible threat. It draws you into more cards. It attacks from a different angle than the other cards in the deck. I think it, it, it does more things than I could possibly articulate. And the damage that it deals you at the beginning of your turn is like way less relevant than I could have possibly imagined when I first read the card.
0: Yeah. Uh, And yeah, just the the ways to like force it through. It's like, oh, four mana sorcery, that's kind of dangerous in a world where people are playing four spell pierces, but not only do you have Teferi, you also have the Halflings. I think the Halfling was just a brilliant addition to this deck.
1: Yeah, Uh, the amount of times that I had multiple spell pierces in my hand and I was not able to cast them because either you had two mana available or your spells just weren't counterable, whether it was Teferi or Delighted Halfling it was incredibly frustrating and put a very weird and new tension on the matchup that I'd never seen before.
0: Yeah, and I I don't think that that means that Spell Pierce is bad or anything. It's just you need to make different accommodations to ensure that your Pierce is going to be live, I guess, which is just make sure that you can kill Halfling a little bit more reliably.
1: Yep, absolutely, which is no small feat because a lot of the cards that kill Halfling don't interact profitably with many other cards in your deck. Yep. So I think four color is definitely the deck to beat in modern. Um, I think it's, you know, it's super interesting, especially with the one ring of, do you want to go under it or do you want to go over it? And I think both are super interesting. And uh, it's not clear to me which approach or angle you're supposed to take. And I'd be curious your thoughts and perspective on that, especially playing a lot of four color pre the one ring.
0: Yeah. One of the weird things to me is that I still felt like, this was a deck that you could go over the top of. Like even in the current configuration, just looking at it on paper, it seemed like oh, like creativity archon stuff should be enough to still beat up on this, and that was just not the case. Uh, in order to go over the top of it, you now need very specific things, which uh, I think attacking the mana is a pretty obvious one, or just you know combo killing them outright is is kind of the other one. So those are the two that are just like solidified hard locks. But as far as like, Oh, I'm just going to do something like bigger, like you're playing four mana spells. I'll play like six mana spells or something. It's like, it's not that simple anymore because of things like binding and solitude, where it's just like, I'll just answer that stuff. Like it doesn't really matter all that much.
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot of big winners in modern from all of this. Right. And I think some of the biggest winners are going to be some of those Eldrazi, the big mana cards that go way over the top of this. Um, and I, I really do think that that's the place it's going to land.
0: Yeah. Like it, it has been a while since someone like threw the breach at merkel or whatever, but uh, you know, like Gorio's I think is a reasonable place to be too.
1: Yeah. And especially given the homes, the ring has found at least so far going under it seems not, like a winning strategy so it it really does seem like going over the top of it is the place to be and I think that's why the question of what percentage of the pro tour do we think is going to have the one ring in it is really interesting is I think some of the best approaches to attacking it might even be to play it and if you can't beat them join them
0: yeah in in terms of like Tron or something along those lines right although now I am kind of like interested to see how that matchup plays out because I haven't run into that one but you know playing against things like Mono black or whatever in the leagues. Uh, that has not been super difficult, um, at, at least with more normal versions. I'm sure the list could get fancier and figure out ways to actually go over the top. But the current ones, I don't know. It's just like, oh, wow, you're supposed to be like a bigger mid range deck, but it just doesn't even matter based on all the stuff that I have.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're still. F- three or four weeks away from the pro tour. And I would imagine that we're going to see the format continue to evolve quite a bit after that.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think that the challenges do a pretty good job of moving the format forward, but a little bit slowly, you know, and the pro tour will have a massive impact. I think like the challenges will move it forward and the pro tour will be like a bunch of people who, figured out like actual good conclusions and then people can go off of that data and maybe the format moves like a little bit forward after that, but I think the Pro Tour is just going to be the biggest thing.
1: Yeah, now I'll, I'll so. say I'm a little jealous hanging out from the sidelines. The, the Pro Tour coming back is something that was very exciting to me. The Pro Tour being modern added to that excitement and modern being as dynamic and evolving as much as it is right now only adds to that and I'd say almost a little bit of a challenge to myself and to you of like you know I kind of wish we were in that game
0: yeah I I do miss the pro tour specifically where I don't know for me I was like eager to find out what people were playing because it was a big deal but I think a lot of the latter pro tours kind of missed out on that maybe because of Things like arena or uh, just them being a little too far away from the actual set release, where like things weren't really new and exciting anymore. It's like, oh, did you play Sultai Mid or Mono Red or like Mono Blue? You know, it was just like oh, the formats are already defined, so it doesn't really matter. But like, this is one of the tournaments where, on you know, when the first constructed round starts, like I would be walking around, you know, just because I'd be interested to see what choices people made.
1: Yeah. So let, let's let do more hypotheticals. We're four weeks no. away from the pro tour. <laughs> we, have, we have four more challenges that we're going to get to see the format evolve with. Do you think the pro tour is going to have a lot of surprises or do you think things are going to be largely figured out over the course of the next three weeks?
0: No, there's going to be a lot of surprises.
1: And I, I would agree. And I think that's incredibly exciting. and I think that's incredibly rare with sets these days. And I think that You know, a lot of these cards that really, you know, tells how well they're designed of they're they're objectively incredibly powerful, but the right home for them and where to put them and how to build things around them is really complicated. And I I think that's incredibly unique.
0: I I wouldn't be shocked if there wasn't like basically a brand new deck to come out of the Pro Tour.
1: I'd be shocked if it wasn't plural. Okay. Um, and I would agree with you. I think there's going to be quite a few different decks. And I think that what this format looks like six weeks from now is going to be largely indistinguishable from what it is now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
0: So another another fun thing that I learned is that Reprieve is not actually Remand. Uh, yeah. it, it's just like you you read the card and it's like, oh, it's, it's White Remand, right? And then my brain just auto-completes that for the rest of time. And... Even, even like the card text is different, right? It's like remand is like countered. If it's countered, return to its hand instead, right? And reprieve is just return the spell to its owner's hand. So I, I felt like pretty confident going like halfling into one ring and then you reprieved it and I kind of like laughed and then it, it didn't resolve. And I was like, wait, what?
1: <laughs> and I wish I recorded your reaction to this live because you're saying it now, but it, it, it generally was an incredibly authentic WTF. Just yeah. After.
0: I was like, hold on. And I just like actually read the card and it took my, because even as I read the card, my brain is like, that's a remand. And I'm just like, no, there's something going on here. I'm missing something, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, the the words actually do matter. And when people started playing reprieve in creativity, you were like, yo, why are they playing like white remand? You know, like blue remand has existed or whatever. And I was like, I don't know, veil or whatever. But no, like this is this is a hell of a good reason.
1: It it certainly is, and there is it's it's one of many good reasons that I've slowly figured out and explored, and I I think that card's actually quite good, and one that I certainly underrated at first glance.
0: Yeah, it's it's a venser, not a remand, right? So, I don't know anything that's like coming in through cavern of souls or anything. It's just like, oh yeah, this card is actually way better.
1: Yeah, it's it's cavern of souls. It's the halfling. It's um it also the fact that your blue mana is already taxed in a lot of these decks or let alone decks that don't play blue to begin with um i think it it, it's a super interesting and dynamic card that um we've just scratched the surface of it gives me a little bit of mana tithe vibes right which is another uh card that i quite enjoy
0: yeah so i I don't know how much that moves the needle for me i was already interested in like playing a couple copies just to try and figure it out i don't know if that means that i should be playing more i definitely don't want to go down uh the spike rabbit hole of playing like all four i think that even improved remand is still not that great against decks with only one and two mana cards you know but it does add another layer to the deck that i'm interested in
1: yeah uh, Teferi is kind of the card that I'm keeping my eye on in general in the format of like are we going to see that card played less of or more of uh, with all the recent changes and I think that's really going to drive how many of these interactive cards do you want to play um, a lot of these decks their their answers to Teferi are already very taxed so playing some of these instant speed interactive spells that don't do anything with Teferi out um, it, it's a really big cost
0: yeah and I, I've liked Teferi in general. Uh I was not super high on the card during preview season. Uh that was mostly from like a standard perspective. But even then, like it was obviously very good in standard. And just I don't know. For for modern, I'm like a Teferi truther. Like even if there are matchups where it seems like it should be kinda bad or like slow and clunky or whatever, I am still a little apprehensive to actually cut them or, like, trim the numbers just in general, you know? It's like, I, I'm much happier having four in my deck than having, like, two or zero.
1: Yeah, it's one of those cards you can never really know how good it is until you play against it, right? Yes. And I distinctively remember a game where you played Halfling and it's a and I had two spell pierce, and I almost conceded on the spot.
0: <laughs> yeah, because even if you find a way to deal with one, it's like, you still have to contend with the other, you know?
1: And It was one of the worst feelings you could imagine.
0: And I'm also just going to get like a a random free card off it at some point too. Yeah. It's
1: it's great. Let's just go to the next game.
0: Uh, last thing I guess is, uh, just how I was approaching the matchup in general, I guess. Um, I started with a sideboard configuration that I quickly moved away from where, you commented on the fact that I had Orvar in my sideboard, which is a thing that people don't normally have unless they have Elodomri's Call. Whereas whenever I registered this deck, uh, be it online or in real life or anything, like I always had two Orvars in my sideboard because I respected the hell out of creativity. Like it's a, a very good deck. I think that it's it's popular, probably not as popular as it, it should have been. And was a, a thing that was just like... a pretty bad matchup you know it's like you you need to respect those sorts of things and there were definitely games where i got you with it but also things change in the, in the post board games you know it's like you're not supposed to be all in on archon you should probably be doing other stuff especially in the one ring world so there are so many times in the post games where you would creativity for like two, I would kill one of your things. And then I would just be like praying that you don't hit the Titan because I have the Orvar and the the Titan came up a lot, Uh you know, not, not more than the 25% or whatever that it should have been, but it just, it felt like way too many to the point where I was just like, all right, Orvar is not the thing I want to be
1: doing. Yeah. The Titan's always been a pet card of mine that I've always had you know, one of in my 20 card sideboard, but not often in my 15 card sideboard. And it was historically for a lot of the matchups where the the, the uh, Archons would get extracted, right? So you'd remove the Archons from the deck and this would be your extra threat, right? So it was like, do I want the Sundering Titan or do I want the Emrakul? And I think that's changed a little bit. I think that dynamic has kind of evolved and it, it's gone above and beyond that now where whether it's Orvar or the One Ring Sundering Titans attacking their resources in these decks in ways that the other threats aren't. And I think as we made those changes to the sideboarding of the matchup, that really changed things, um, how it played out.
0: Yeah. So I, I, I was initially not very high on dress down, but that was, that was more in like the risen reef version. I think once, you know, like Urian got banned and you move away from the traverse version and, Traverse was really the only thing that made Risen Reef palatable because it was like the only thing that could ensure that you could get two copies in play because one copy just generally does very little. Like Nissa is just better at that point. Um, then you it opens up the space for more weirdo pseudo removal kind of like interactiony things, and I, I think the dress down is just like legit good because it's. Good in a lot of different matchups, certainly like any of the Saga decks, uh, mostly thinking about like Hammer in that regard, where like Dress Down is a card that I want to have. Like Hammer has kind of like this threshold for me where it's like I need to hit like five or six sideboard cards, like meaningful sideboard cards against them to actually have like a good, good shot and like feel confident. And Dress Down is one of those. And then if it has side applications like against creativity, I'm down. So... Uh, if I am spotted playing like a dress down main and like another one in the sideboard, I would not be shocked, but like both copies of the sideboard is also pretty fine too. Um, so I, yeah, I think I want two of those after board, uh, was like shaving on solitudes. I was trying different configurations of Omnath, like Omnath feels like the exact type of card that you are, well suited to going over the top of, but I also had force negation in my deck a few times, and it was like, well, deck is pretty low on blue cards, also. So like, maybe you need to keep some of those in if you're going that route. Not necessarily something I endorse, but if you do, you know, it's a blue card, and I don't know. Like the games are pretty grindy, right? Just like having anything that's a, a two for one is kind of meaningful. So I don't know that you should be cutting all of them necessarily, but if you're starting three or four copies and shaving it down to two, I think that that's pretty reasonable.
1: Yeah, and I think that makes sense. I'll say the games felt very dynamic, and my biggest piece of advice to anybody trying to play any of these matchups is like you got to play some of the games because they certainly did not play out similarly to others. Um, and there was a lot of different interesting decision points, which again, I think is a testament to the quality of the format and all the likes. Um, but um, yeah,
0: I'm, I'm normally pretty good at eyeballing stuff too, but yeah, I halfling changes things. Ring certainly changes things. Uh, Reprieve has like the, the slight little wrinkles, you know, it's just like enough has changed where you might want to go back and revisit some of this stuff.
1: Absolutely. And we spent a while revisiting, hey, potential creativity targets on my side. We tried out things like Atraxo, We tried out things like Sundering Titan. We tried Emerickle. They all had different you know, merits. Um, and to be frank, I don't know exactly what the exact right configuration is. But um, historically, I've been a huge believer in Archon. And this the One Ring has certainly put a very interesting tension on that. And... Yeah, I don't know where the exact right configuration is. And to be frank, if I had more time and I was playing in the Pro Tour a month from now, I might be exploring alternative options. But given where I'm at in the tournament I'm preparing for a week from now, um, and the amount of time I have available to me to learn things and how dynamic the format is, I don't know that that's an option for me.
0: Yeah. And I, you're you're a busy dude, too. so. Limited, yeah, somebody uh, tricked
1: me into doing this podcast thing every once in a while too, <laughs> which has eaten into my, some of my magic time, right? So
0: yeah, but uh, I hope some of it helps you. You know, it
1: does. It does.
0: Uh, the other thing was I was I was cutting all the prismatic endings, um, which is is fine. Like sometimes you want an answer, a direct answer to Ren and Six, um, uh, but. Between binding and just like being able to attack it or ignore it or whatever, I don't think it's the end of the world. And there are just so many games where ending is just very bad that I'm fine cutting those. So those are kind of like all the slots I had to play with.
1: Yeah. On the creativity side, my initial reaction was I was trimming the endings that I had. I The list I had been playing more recently has two endings and four lightning bolts in. And my first reaction was to cut the endings and leave the bolts in. And as I slowly realized how few creatures were really in the four-color deck post board, um, I, I started shifting away in, in the opposite direction and back towards ending as a way to both answer the Planeswalkers as well as a way to answer the Halfling. And it's not necessarily a place I want to be, but I think it's a place you need to be if you're going to try to attack a matchup like that.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, you have like the backdoor option if, if the game goes like super late to hitting a ring or something. Uh, Although PSA, there was a game where you got a Ren emblem and we're trying to ending out of the graveyard and Bodo just wouldn't let you. Yeah,
1: <laughs> which did make me question a lot of things.
0: So I, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if that's a known issue or if that was like a one game specific thing. Uh, I, I generally feel like those things have to be emblematic of the program. Like it is pretty weird and odd if something just like breaks for a game, you know? Yeah. So. Uh-
1: I think I prismatic ending the ring twice. And one time I did it with X equals three and you laughed at me, not realizing that that's how prismatic ending works
0: <laughs> for half a second. I saw, I saw X equals three and I was like, what? And then I saw like four colors yeah. and I was like, okay,
1: yeah. good. And then the second time I tried to do it, I just wasn't able to. So uh, there was a, a comedic set of events that led to all of this. <laughs>
0: yeah. Every time ending targeted a ring, something, something made me laugh. Yeah. I'll, I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, so so, how do you think you want to approach the matchup now after we've we played these games?
1: So, I think that Sundering Titans a must. I think that moving away from Archons makes sense. I think anybody still playing Orvar from your side is like misunderstanding the matchup in general. Um, so I, I definitely think moving away from that makes more sense. Um. I, I, I think we largely still like split most of the games that we played. So I don't feel awful about it. But um, when I originally started playing the creativity deck was nine ish months ago when um, Yorian and Four Color was the biggest deck in the format. And that was virtually a buy. It was one of the easiest matchups imaginable. And I think the matchup at this point is close to 50 50. Because and... they weren't
0: playing Orvar, you know? Like they weren't respecting it, man. I'm telling you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They could they and, could
0: have fixed, well not fixed all their problems, but like at least gave themselves a chance.
1: Yeah, and I think like in those you know, your index, if if you knew Orvar was coming, it wasn't very hard to beat because you you could just wait. You you had no pressure on you, you could just take your time and I think that The deck now has gotten way more lean, way faster, and the inevitability that it has almost puts this awkward tension on the creativity deck to move a little bit faster.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially like if if I resolved a ring, you know, you got to move,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. And like one of the most interesting things from my side was like, how many answers to your ley line bindings do I want to put in my deck? So Nature's Claim was a card that we talked about quite a bit because on the surface is just not a good card. It doesn't do enough. It doesn't answer enough things. But given how important ley line binding is from both of our sides, the amount of times we both instant speed interacted with each other's ley line bindings while it was on the stack was pretty high.
0: Yeah, it was huge. And like I in all like all of those scenarios, if someone had retrumped in that scenario, it's just like it's game ending, right? So it's like if I have this like very key leyline ley line binding and you like binding me back, I'm I'm basically toast yeah so nature's claim can kind of sub in as one of those things and i I generally don't like boarding in super narrow cards and if if we could do a little bit more digging and find something that wasn't quite as narrow but did the same thing i'd be much happier but uh i i've come around initially i was just like i i don't think this is a card you can bring in um and I, i don't know we briefly talked about all alternate options for things that like maybe also could exile the ring or whatever because that thing's indestructible for some reason but yeah, I, I don't a lot I don't of think, text yeah it does have a lot of text uh i i just i don't think that there are any great options for that unfortunately but should still do some more digging but i'm definitely down with having like at least one if not two disenchants in the deck board
1: yeah and then i think finding more reasonable answers to the halfling is like the other interesting point and like is there a better card than prismatic ending how can i find a world where i don't need to keep as many lightning bolts in as i currently feel like i need to um is is kind of where my head's at right now and i don't know if there is an answer to that problem but that's definitely where i'm still pondering
0: so the the problem is is that whether or not you draw or whether or not you get to use a lightning bolt profitably it's still is a resource that you have to devote to something. So like when you draw one or like, you know, God forbid you draw two, right? It's just like, you don't have a whole lot of other stuff to work with. Right. And that's sort of the problem. So I I think something that needs to factor into this conversation is expressive iteration and how that kind of fixes a lot of these problems as far as like having enough resources.
1: Yeah, so some of the stuff I haven't discussed with you quite a bit yet is expressive iteration I think is one of the more interesting cards to debate in the creativity deck to begin with and if we just lock that slot with some type of grindy card advantage spell, right? What are the other options that we could see played there? And um Shadow Prophecy is a card I've played historically in different versions of creativity yeah. with persist and that card being instant speed, um, I think is super interesting, especially given how the One Ring can sometimes slow down how much we want to just jam our threats. Um, and I've started to explore other options, and you even caught me a little bit off guard with a Memory Deluge from your side, which got me really <laughs> thinking.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I forgot about that. I forgot I cast the Deluge. I cut the Deluge. I don't think it was very good. <laughs> um,
1: I, had big, I had big dreams. Um but I'm on I, the hunt. I, I'm on the hunt for, hey, if, if we're going to play some of these longer, grindier games, what are some more interactive spells I can use to re- kind of recoup some of my card advantage? And expressive iteration is definitely on the surface the best way to do that. But if I'm going to bring in a lot of these reactive cards that are instant speed, is there another instant speed card advantage spell I can play? And there's definitely a few from the new Lord of the Rings set that, that are interesting um there's shadow prophecy which is my mainstay and there, you know modern is such a large card pool i'm sure there's others i'm not even thinking of yet
0: prophecy is pretty good and i especially like it being instant speed compared to iteration when you factor in the fact that you're playing reprieve
1: yeah yep yep it's uh it's dig through time it really is um and i i, I think in general like Listen on on the topic of like shadow prophecy and domain and the likes. A, a, as we move towards the One Ring and modern, I think Leyline Binding is one of the most underrated cards in modern, and I think people are catching on and putting that in all kinds of decks. But I think that that's a card we're only going to see go up, and I think that um, it, it, it's a really it, it, it's really supplanted itself as a cornerstone of the format.
0: Yeah, I agree. And at, at that point, it behooves you to then be able to make sure that you're winning those battles, right? Like if anytime your opponent resolves a binding against you, you kind of get to like blow them out or whatever. I mean, that's just going to benefit you pretty hard.
1: Yeah. Yep. And targeting permanence makes it really hard to figure out how to attack it, right? Because it answers quite a wide range of things.
0: Yeah. And we're talking about how frustrating it is to have Halfling or Teferi be sneaking in these rings or whatever. And it's like, eh, obviously answering the ring on a one-for-one basis is not the most ideal thing, but, you know, it is a very good mana exchange at least.
1: Yeah, I think it's just a reality, right? Like, if you're not attacking your opponent's life total and they cast a ring, you kind of have to answer the ring. And listen, those exchanges are never going to feel great, but they're they're a necessary evil.
0: Right, and I mean, Four-Color is effectively a pile of two for ones and creativity back in the time that you were talking about, like in in the Urian heyday and stuff like was basically a a better four color deck for a lot of it because it, it is also a pile of two for ones, but like a more impactful end game. And if you're answering the ring at card disadvantage uh, but you your deck just has a lot of ways to feed you extra cards then that is completely fine and serviceable especially if you're answering it like one mana to four mana and you have mana left over to cast the you know iteration on your turn or like shadow prophecy or whatever so that's yeah. completely fine just be able to keep uh the wheel spinning you know while you're answering things and I think that that's a fine plan.
1: Yep, I would agree. And I think for those exploring modern and looking for places to look, I think that uh, trying to find places to get a mana advantage is kind of where my head would jump to. And whether that's Amulet of Vigor, whether it's Cabal Coffers, whether it's Tron, these are all places that I think are natural reactions to trying to win the arms race that's kind of inevitable with the ring.
0: Yeah, agreed. Um, one of the things I played against uh, was moth. And, I don't know, it's like kind of a a clunky-ish deck or whatever, but just winning the game outright also is just completely fine and reasonable, you know? And Four Color has like a a bunch of stuff that in theory should be good against them, but it, it doesn't have an overwhelming amount of ways to interact and stop them, you know? So I think that that's maybe a fine place to be too.
1: Yeah, I would agree, and I think that like ways to combo kill your opponent, and if you can do it without targeting them, that's bonus points. Is a good place to be,
0: right? And the the one specifically I played against recently had white for like the the food combo kill or whatever, and it's like I don't, I don't know how much I like that or anything, but you got you got some options.
1: We're, we're certainly in an arms race, right? And how far we go down this rabbit hole, I'm not quite sure yet, but um, I would encourage everyone that's exploring it to be aggressive at far, how far they explore it.
0: Yeah, definitely agree with that. So I know a bunch of stuff. I know more than I did a week ago, which is great. Uh, I don't have a solidified like 75 or sideboarding guide, but I'm going to keep working on that because I'm just kind of interested in figuring it out for myself. If I do figure it out. I will post it up, uh, hopefully in time for this weekend. Um, so if people are playing the showcase or just the other challenges or whatever, they can use that. Otherwise, uh, if I don't have it this weekend, I'll look at what happens this weekend. Maybe that influences like my card choices or whatever, and then I'll have like an actual prepared one next week. But that's that's kind of my plan
1: interesting for sure so we're two weeks away from cincinnati two and a half weeks
0: oh god
1: that is coming up quick yeah so i know last week we joked a lot about you know who's going to get the legacy seat and what have you if creativity is as poorly positioned as it might seem now do you feel like you need to take the modern seat and play four color
0: no i mean i could still play legacy
1: well well i could still play legacy
0: Okay. Uh, What what if I tell you that I am pretty convinced that Shadow is bad?
1: I would agree. And like Death Shadow is a card that I have historically never really understood or had a successful experience with. Uh, but any amount of 2 and 3 and 4 color control decks in Legacy are super appealing to me and those certainly seem to be trending up. Yeah. But conversations well, for a different time. I'm just planting a seed.
0: Yeah. I mean crap. That like I I knew that was a thing, but the immediacy has not set in. And like the immediacy is the only thing that can trigger my lizard ADHD brain. <laughs> you know, and make yeah. me actually do something. Uh so I I feel that now. Okay. I I actually have to play like I was playing more magic than I have been and now I feel like I need to be playing even more. So yeah.
1: Well, I'll I'll say that's a commitment I'll make to everybody is that's one of my primary objectives here is to get you to play more Magic.
0: Yeah, great. Get used to it. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Uh, Last thing I want to talk about is whether or not it would be to your benefit to consider switching decks because I know that you've played this deck a lot, but things have certainly changed. Like, can you make your case for potentially playing a deck from two weeks ago because you know it well versus maybe just copying one of the four color lists that has been successful and, you know, playing it to the best of your ability, maybe not like the high nineties efficiency that you would with creativity or whatever, but you know, like why, why do you think that that is such a bad thing? Because I, I think that historically I'm, more likely to switch decks if I feel like the deck edge is good enough, you know? So what what is your deal with this?
1: Yeah. It's an interesting question. I think if it wasn't 4th of July weekend, that might add an interesting dynamic to this as well. Um I would say if anybody asked me for advice on modern four weeks ago, I would have told them if you're not playing creativity, you're doing it wrong. And that clearly has changed and i no longer can recommend the deck i think that if you're it's something that you're allowed to play but not something that you should play necessarily and there's quite a few other decks in the format that i have experience with and i think if where to jump to was more clear to me i would be more open to it but i don't even know where to begin um the four-color decks are interesting, but not something I have a ton of experience with. But I think given the experience I had playing the matchup with you, that that matchup is not great, but it's not enough of a problem to push me away from the deck. I think it's just acceptable. What, if,
0: what if I told you it was less fancy creativity? I would, or what if I told you it the games play out the same way that Cobblade plays out?
1: I would buy all of those things, but I would tell you that I was good in those matchups and with those decks because I was more experienced and more practiced than my opponents on average. And given where I'm at in my personal life and work life and 4th of July weekend, I don't know that that's something I'm going to achieve in the next week.
0: What what do you think your baseline efficacy is versus like a random person's? Like, do you feel you're at like a huge deficit or do you feel like you're close?
1: I feel like I'm close. And I feel like the my range in general with different random decks is like pretty significant. There are some decks I can pick up and play pretty well immediately. And there are other decks that take me a pretty significant amount of time to learn and pick up. And I'll say, you know, in the 25 years I've been playing Magic, I haven't really figured out a clear pattern, and my ability to predict which decks are going to be easy for me to pick up isn't actually very good.
0: Mm, I well, okay. I, so this this is this is a mid range deck, and you know, Cobblade was a mid range deck, but like way more efficient at doing literally everything than anyone else in the format. You know, so kind of kind of unfair, but. I know that some people maybe are like really good with like hard control or really good with tempo or aggro or whatever. And I, I don't think that mid-range is one of your problems because I do think that creativity is that. And then also thinking about your history, just like Gifts Rock and like Green Black Delirium and stuff. Like I do feel like this sort of stuff is in in your wheelhouse. And when when you're talking about, I don't know, not not being like, Super comfortable or whatever with whatever lines of play you're making. It's like it doesn't really matter that much. Also, you know, it's like you might do small things like play the wrong three drop in anticipation of something, or you may fetch the wrong land or something. But it's like I don't know. Just at some point, it's you're going to be like i have to cast omnath here cuz this is the best possible thing i could be doing so like it's pretty obvious you know like i i really don't think that it's that difficult and a lot of the cards are just things that prevent you from dying you know so yeah
1: i'll be frank like it's not that intimidating to play and i think the deck does line up with things that i'm more comfortable with and practice with in general um it having a huge target on its back is definitely Um, An interesting dynamic, too. And the the showcase in and of itself is an interesting tournament to prepare for, given that it's a really small field and it's all people who qualified for it in public tournaments that are searchable on the Internet um, in the (laughs) same format. So it it can get a little bit inbred with kind of like how people prepare for it um, in a very unique way.
0: Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I I guess if people search for you, they're just going to see a history of creativity,
1: right? Absolutely. And does that make me want to play it more or less? Probably less in general, but um, I would love to find a world. And one of the things that does make me nervous is I do think a lot of the decks that, and the natural reactions to responding to the four-color decks by doing big mana style things are also good against creativity. Right which doesn't make me feel great.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. One of the things that I do want to point out is that you mentioned that four color has a a target on its back, but even from your side of things, we're talking about how we don't know how to attack it. You know, like what is, what is an effective way to actually do this? And I feel like a lot of other folks are also going to be scratching their heads in the same kind of way. And the obvious answer is to change decks completely in a lot of instances and i don't know that a lot of people are going to do that especially because you're just like well i play creativity bunch i think i'm better suited to just like playing this deck
1: yeah so i
0: i just don't think like target on its back really means anything
1: i don't disagree um and maybe this small format changes that dynamic like a little bit um but i don't think appreciably and I think if there was a, the, a more appealing way to gain an edge against the four color decks, an alternative to, I'm not opposed to switching decks in general, um, but I don't know that I would get enough of an edge switching from creativity to four color as I would hope. What do you think? Do you think I should switch?
0: I, I think that you should not do it this time, but I think that is something that you should consider doing more in the future, especially for smaller tournaments, just to like try it out.
1: I hope that I'm qualified for more smaller tournaments in the future, because in general they tend to be the hardest things to qualify for.
0: Well, sure, but I, I'm even talking about like an RCQ or something, you know. Like obviously you don't have to like literally qualify for it or anything, but it's just like normally you would be like, well, creativity is like really bad right now, uh, but I know it better. And then you would just play it anyway. And I, I think that maybe you need to give yourself a little bit more credit or at least get used to exploring, I don't know, more avenues of your range, I suppose.
1: Interesting. Do you think that's true of the average person or just me?
0: Well, the average person in real life uh, there's a lot of different dynamics going on there as far as like card availability and accessibility. Like how, how much money do they have to just like outright buy a new deck or whatever. Like a lot of those things complicate it, uh, especially in terms of modern where decks are like a $1,000. So uh, f- for you, I think that you have the means or the network to acquire cards if you wanted to.
1: If only mana traders existed in real life.
0: Yeah, for real, right? Um, so, I if if the average person has that setup, then then yeah, I think that a lot of people, especially kind of now in like the age that we're in, where it is very much like copy paste a deck list, copy paste a sideboarding guide, like whatever. I think that I, I would like to see people doing more of the like holistic work of being better at magic and thinking more independently and trying to figure things out on their own and stuff like that. Um, Cause I, I, I just think that's great. Like there's, you know, a handful of people that move metagames forward. Right. And then there are, are a lot of people that participate in the metagames. And I think that magic is a better place when you have more people like actively doing the work. Basically.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. And I think sideboard guides in general are one of the, biggest issues and challenges with people trying to get better and improve at magic. I think they're a crutch and they're like training wheels and they can help keep you up upright when you need it, but they really prevent you from going as fast as you possibly can.
0: I agree with that. I've, I've come around on my stance a little bit where I recognize that there are people you know, in a, a similar position to you, honestly, where it's, you, know, you have a bunch of real life stuff going on. You don't have a bunch of time but you do want to spend the occasional weekend playing Magic and certainly you would want to show up and feel competent, right? And maybe a short article about the deck and a sideboarding guide is the best possible way to do that. And there's no reason that you should be barred from participating or barred from having as much enjoyment out of it as you possibly could, you know? So like, yeah, sideboarding guides should definitely exist. But- no,
1: I agree my favorite kind of sideboarding guides are actually the ones where the number of cards coming in and out aren't necessarily equal.
0: Yeah. Those those are all of mine.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So there's, there's some element of like, Hey, this is the place to start. These are the things you should consider or think about. Um, But I would encourage everybody to kind of put their own kind of twist and spin on exactly how they tweak everything.
0: When, when I give sideboarding guides to show, for example, uh, they will often look like that. It's like, a lot of, like, here are the clean numbers, but also there's never a time when this is correct, but, like, here are the other things that you should consider, and, like, some of it's play draw, some of it is depending on how they built their deck, some of it is how they are approaching the matchup, you know, it's like whether or not your Merc Tide opponent is sideboarding to be, like, more controlling, more counterspells, or whether or not they're just, like, trying to kill you ASAP, right? Because you should sideboard differently against those people. Um, But, Whenever I post something like that, people are like, hey, you said like, you know, six out and eight in or whatever, you know? And it's like, well, yeah.
1: Yeah. I would I would say trust your instinct. And I don't think enough people listen to their gut or their instinct enough with things like this.
0: Yeah. And I, I similar to you changing decks or whatever, it's just the, the more you do it, the more you build that confidence level, right? Like the, the more that you are willing to try new things, potentially fail, I, I think most things in general lead to failure and it is just good to kind of get like used to that and be okay with that and know that failing means that you're learning, you know,
1: especially in magic. Yes. A few hundred people, Uh, only one person wins.
0: Yeah. Tournaments are so bad. (laughs) Like they, they are created uh, in such a way where they only make losers, right? Like, one person wins everyone else loses
1: it's incredibly disproportionate
0: yeah it's it's horseshit i want to find a better way i want i want a system where you are incentivized to like grind out that top 32 after starting one in 3 or whatever and have it feel good that's what i want
1: I could go both ways. I love I love it. I love the irony of it all. I love how difficult <laughs> it all is. I love the challenge of it all. Um I think it's what keeps me coming back.
0: I mean, I would happily play in tournaments where literally winner take all. You know? Yeah. No splits allowed.
1: It's my favorite uh, prize split offer is just winner takes all.
0: Yeah. I've I've done that a few times. Uh doesn't doesn't feel good. You know, just it's always like I, I'm saying it and I I can like out of body experience, like see myself saying it. And I'm just like already cringing or whatever. And then afterwards, I feel like an asshole. And it's like, that's the blade, I said it already.
1: Yeah. But it might be the only tournament you remember 10 years later.
0: And it's true. I do remember those. <laughs> but but it's like, you know, for better or worse. Right. Like, yeah, uh, probably worse, honestly. But, you know, whatever.
1: Yeah. Anything else for modern or are we good? Is it nap time? I think it's nap time. I mean, I have, we could talk about modern for another six hours and probably still not get anywhere. There is, I'm excited to see how the format develops over the next six weeks. And I wish we were qualified for the pro tour.
0: I will say the, 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 the PT show is going to be rad.
1: It's going to be and, awesome.
0: And and watching the PT will be fun.
1: It, I can't wait.
0: But yeah, this, this would be a
1: fun one to be qualified for, for sure. Wait, are you saying you wish you were qualified for the Pro Tour?
0: No, I'm saying that the 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 very small experience of waiting between round three and round four is very fun, and I want nothing to do with the rest of it.
1: Got it. We're baby steps. We're going to get you back there.
0: Yeah, so I think that's a no. I'm pretty sure that's a no. Right. But it's more than it has been.
1: We're moving in that direction, and that's what's important.
0: Look, man, I'm, I'm playing... Okay that is that that's what you're going to get from Listen, now.
1: Listen, I have a very specific role here, okay? And I'm trying to embrace that.
0: Who who pointed you this role? I did. <laughs> I did. This is
1: there. self-proclaimed, okay?
0: <laughs> okay, okay, we're done. Game game. <laughs>
1: Good luck.